Advent is almost here. And we know that Advent is a, a good time for us to prepare the way for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, every day is a good day for that, I think. But we focus on Christ's coming in the season of Advent. We, we focus on, on the first Advent, the coming of Christ into the manger as, as the baby. Six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, right? Any Talladega Nights fans out there? And it's wonderful to focus on the coming of the Christ child. It's important that we celebrate that because that was God reaching into the affairs of men and saying, I have a plan for you, a plan to give you a hope and a future, a plan to bless you with an opportunity to be redeemed back to me. Isaiah, the prophet, foretold of these events that were going to take place. We read about them just this morning. And so it's good for us as we as we spin up to uh, to Advent, the season of Advent, to, to focus once again on what it means to have a savior. A savior that came to take away the sin of the world and to make a way for us to be in good standing with God the Father. In our gospel lesson today, we see some more prophecy about the destruction of the temple. In Luke chapter 21, if you want to follow along, in the bulletin, or if you have your own Bible with you, um, I encourage you to open it to chapter 21 and, and follow with me as I begin at verse 5. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all of this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and to prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. 
So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your soul. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to you, Lord Christ. See, when we hear Jesus' words in this passage from Luke, we hear a story of impending destruction. The beautiful temple built to the glory of God will be torn down so that not a single stone will be left upon another. And indeed, If you were to go to Jerusalem right now, where the temple stood at one time, there's a mosque, the Dome of the Rock, built on top of what used to be the temple, the very temple that Jesus is talking about here. The beautiful temple built to the glory of God, torn down so that not a single stone is left upon another. Jesus says there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes, natural disasters and famine, plague, sickness, death, persecution and imprisonment, betrayal by family and friends, executions and all manner of injustice done against the righteous, the people of God. There'll be a movement of people marching toward captivity and bondage, some of them against their will and some of them because they just don't know any better and they're going along willingly. The Old Testament from Scripture this morning that Cindy read to us from Isaiah, it speaks of a glorious new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem and a bright new future for all of God's people. See, Isaiah paints a picture of hope for captive Israel, held in exile against their will through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the reign of Belshazzar, the reign of Darius. And when King Darius finally allows the people to return to Israel, we spoke about this just uh, last week or the week before, they begin their journey out of Babylon, moving from years of captivity, years of bondage, years of suffering, years of darkness and fear, moving into freedom, into peace, into light. And so there's this long column of people marching from Babylon, from captivity, into freedom with the hope of rebuilding their temple. And so through these scriptures, we see two groups of people. Not unlike today, each group moving in opposite directions. One of them is marching toward freedom and the other one is marching toward bondage, either because they don't know any better or because they're being forced against their will. Two groups of people. How does that speak to us today? I don't think 
it, it stretches anyone's imagination as we look around the globe that there have been two groups of people marching in opposite directions. You've, you've seen them, you've read about them, you've heard about them. And as we watch, we have to wonder, are they marching toward freedom? Are they marching toward captivity? There are people with a desire to align themselves with God's word and will. And there are those who desire to impose their own will on God's word and on God's people. And so on both sides, we have this fear and anxiety and uncertainty, which produces anger and frustration and division. And we only have to go as far as our own church to see that that is true that that is happening in the world today. Columns of people moving away from one another and at the same time colliding with each other in this collision of wills, of ideologies, of priorities, of questions of spirituality and faith. And this is nothing new. Been going on for decades. I was preparing for this week's message and I came across some notes that Angela had made. And she was processing the division in the world. And she wrote them down, and so I stole them. Because they were really succinct and it's, it said something that I wanted to say and I just couldn't find the right context. But, you know, I've, I've also often thought that I should be doing Angela's job and she should be doing mine. It's, she just has a, a way where she's tuned into the Holy Spirit. And I appreciate that about her. But she wrote some thoughts and, and she was processing all that was going on in the world. And she identified the fear that people are experiencing as fear of the unknown, which, by the way, is biblical. That's how it's described. And it's a good observation. She writes, the unknown is a very scary place. There's no doubt about it. But when you're facing scary situations, don't you find comfort in knowing that you're not alone. No one is alone in this. We have God and we have each other. She says, personally, I can tell you that if you need something and ask me, I'm not going to ask you what is your political party, what are your religious views, what are your personal preferences before I try and help. I'm going to do what I can, when I can, however I can, regardless of your answers to those questions. I don't want to know the answers because I believe that most people will do whatever they can, when they can, however they can. And then she says, I love and pray for all of you, my family and friends, and that is not ever going to be changed based on where you are in your faith or your beliefs. My hope and faith is in God and he takes up residence in my heart. For me, that doesn't change with the prevailing culture. Wow, I wish I'd written that. 
But it's, it's the attitude of Christ that we're supposed to have as Christians. And I, for one, find it very difficult sometimes, depending on what the issue is, what the context is. I think Angela is right on here. If, if we are one of those who are marching toward captivity, it's the bondage of fear that's going to hold us in captivity. Fear comes when we place our hope and our faith in fallible humanity rather than the infallible God of the universe. Jesus tells us to trust in Him because we, we do trust in Him no matter what happens in the world. Nothing can touch us because our souls are protected. Let me say that again because I want that to sink in. When you trust in Jesus, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what darkness surrounds you, it can't touch your soul because Jesus occupies that space in you. Nothing else can get in. See, a little bit of trust in something or someone great like Jesus is far better than great trust in something or someone small. So if you redirect your trust, even if it's just a little trust in Jesus, the anxiety and the fear will dissipate into the air. Even having said that, still, there are going to be those who continue the march toward captivity. There are some who just want it all their way, no matter what chaos and anarchy it brings about for those people. All we can do as the church is just pray for them. But then there's there are those who just need a little extra reassurance to dispel the fear. And we, the church, we can be a balm for those who are in need of reassurance by extending to them the love of Christ who dwells in our hearts just in the way that Angela put it in her notes. Just by being Jesus for them, we can dispel the fear which leads to reconciliation. When the fear goes away, your heart opens to receive something more. The church is the balm that dispels the fear. And so we have to remember that in the midst of those who are marching to freedom, there is God. And for those who are marching toward captivity, there is available to them the hope of Christ and his redemption. If we, the church, will only extend our hands and invite them in. And so today I have just a simple prayer. I'll make it available on the message board because I think if we keep in mind that there are two columns of people marching, one toward freedom and one toward captivity, 
we have to pray for both columns of people. It's one thing to pray for your church family and for your church because Lord knows we have struggled and fought to align ourselves with the word and will of God. And so as we go forward, we pray that we will be successful, that we will be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We pray for that. But then there's this other column of people moving as fast and as far away from God as they can possibly go. Some of them being dragged against their will and others going oh so willingly to their destruction. They need prayer also. And so the prayer is, oh God, for the hungry and for the overfed. May we all have sufficient. For the mourners and the mockers, may we all someday laugh together. For the victims and the oppressors, may we come to share power wisely. For the peacemakers and the warmongers, may we make clear truth and stern love lead us all to harmony. For those who are silenced and for the propagandists, may we speak only your words in truth. For the unemployed and the overworked, may our impression on the earth be kindly and creative. For the troubled and the sleek, may we live together as wounded healers. For the homeless and the cosseted, may our homes be simple, warm, and welcoming. For the vibrant and the dying, May we all die to live. And for the free and for those in bondage, may we all see God in the midst of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 